Happy Sabbath, everyone. God is great, isn't he? God is good. All the time and all the time. I say that because I had a very interesting experience this week. I don't know whether interesting is the right adjective. Um, I got a phone call Wednesday morning. A gentleman from Logan Reserve, some of you might know him, Tom Welsh. Yeah. Um, his wife rang me and said that he's not doing too well. He's in the MADA emergency, private hospital in the emergency, and that um, would I come and anoint him. This was in the morning, Wednesday morning. And I said, well, I'm still in my pyjamas. I'll wash up and jump in my car and get there. I'll probably get there by 10.30 because you've got to count for traffic. So by the time I showered up and uh, dressed up, got my car, I actually arrived at 10 past. Now, when I first arrived, it was real easy because I know where to go. That was easy. I asked at reception and they led me straight out to the um, emergency. I went into emer emergency. There's a counter there. There's two people there. And there was a, a woman dressed uh, as a Muslim lady. Uh, I don't know what that um, thing's called over their head is. That sh She didn't have the shroud. But, um, and I said, um, I'm looking for where Tom Welsh is, uh, Tom Welsh. And this woman wasn't responding very quickly. And I looked at the other woman and I said, I'm Tom's pastor. And I tell you what, she stood up. She said, I'll take you there. She comes through the door, took me right through, went straight to the room. Uh, the martyr is mainly Catholic. Now, not all nurses there are Catholic, but they know about last rites. You see, so I'm sure that's what was going on in this woman's head. Straight away I was there. So I was technically in the room at five past ten instead of the half past. So I had a few words to say, and then I said, I'd like to um, do the anointing. I think we all agreed upon that. There was the son-in-law, the daughter. <coughs> Elnora was there, and I think there was three other relatives, grandchildren, I believe. And um, so, and Tom was just lying there breathing, and um, so I anointed him. And just as I said amen, it was right on 10.30, he flatlined. He stopped breathing right on that time. Now, technically, I was supposed to get there at that time. But I think the Lord needed to have that family know that Tom was being looked after right to the very end. So, yeah, just, just God, God works incredible miracles sometimes. Tom, Tom was 88. Let's not cry for Tom. He lived a good 88 years. And we'll bury him on Wednesday. If you're not aware of the funeral time, 10 o'clock at Lago Reserve. Okay. All right. So that's not bad news and it's not sad news. It's actually great news. They didn't think Tom was going to last the last 12 months, but he made it for their wedding. And, um, yeah. In fact, he even came out for the market day, then went back in. So I've got no idea what he was doing out for that one day. But there you have it. But the Lord looks after him, and um, I'm sure he'll be there on that resurrection morning. So that's what we've got to do now is get ready for that resurrection morning. All right. <clears throat> now, two months ago I was here. I've been here fortnightly, actually, but two months ago I was here. And I started preaching on an interesting subject of ours that, that we firmly believe in. That would be the, uh, the ten, the major, the ten commandments, right? And we had a really good look at that first commandment. So today, logically speaking, I would be speaking about number two. 
and that would be, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image. Now, you know, this commandment, this is a commandment that we really don't need because who of you went out this morning and bowed down before some image made of stone and wood before you jumped in your cars and came to church this morning, you know? You know what I'm saying? So, um, so we really don't need this commandment, do we? Mm, okay, about graven images. We don't have any problem with graven images, do we? Okay, we're too intelligent for that. We have electric light bulbs, so why would we ever worship the sun, eh? Well, we're Protestants. We don't have a problem with the second commandment. So is there anything we can gain from the second commandment? Well, let's read it and see, okay? And it's no point me just reading it. Exodus chapter 20, verse, that's got you, four, four onwards. So turn with me to Exodus 4. I've got it down, but I'll give you a chance to look it up. Chapter 4, chapter, sorry, verse 4, chapter 20, verse 4. <clears throat> and I'm reading from the New King James Version because as we remarked this morning, our language gets fairly chopped up over time. All right. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Do not worship an image of anything representing God in the water, in the, in the skies, or, or on the land. That's the command, isn't it? Stars are in the skies. Maybe the command is about something like star worship, like astrology. Maybe consulting your horoscope. We don't do that, do we? Okay, right, good. Um, that would be like catering to or following its dictates. There are some that do live by their horoscope. The Bible warns us about bad images. Modern times inundate us with thousands of images every day. In fact, we now carry them around in our pockets, don't we? And they make up more and more images. There's so many images, I don't know what to do. And I'm not saying they're all bad, although some of them are. Um, yeah, they in modern times inundate us with thousands of images every day. Even billboards. There are some billboards that shouldn't be up really. They're very distracting. We see also images on television. We see them on the monitor. We see them everywhere. In a hundred ways we're flooded with these images every day. Can these things be idols? They could become an idol if they begin to rule our thoughts and if they begin to control our cravings. Uh, anybody walk, driven past a Big Mac burger and wanted to have one this morning? No, that's good. It's good. We're past one hurdle then, that's good. But that could be a hur um, an idol, anything on those billboards. And let me tell you, there's things up there that you think, oh, I wouldn't mind one of those. I'm not talking about the burgers now either. Okay, like, f for instance, here's, here's, here's some thoughts. If you idolise money and you keep acquiring more and more material things, they will begin to control you and God will lose out. I remember collecting for appeal and for missions down in New South Wales, and we got a part of um, Newcastle that were they were very well off, you know, boats in the backyard and two-story houses and big houses. You couldn't collect a cent from those places because they can't let go of their money. But you go to the poorer part of town, 
And we saw them go inside, get their purses and take five, ten, twenty dollars out. But those rich people with the money, it's like extracting teeth, isn't it? It is. And you've got to wonder, the money will control you. These material things will control you and God will lose out. We human beings are in the pinnacle, uh, at the pinnacle of God's created, creative handiwork, aren't we? Aren't we the best? Did he finish with us last and say, it was very good? Yes. We're the pinnacle. We are the ants' pants. We are the bee's knees, right? Therefore, we modern intelligent people are capable of the highest forms of idolatry. But an idol is not always made of stone or wood. The second commandment doesn't limit it at that, does it? The facts are that we might be our own idol. Did you ever think about that? We might idolise ourselves. Some people bow down to their own image. they got mirrors all over the place. Um, I, I, I'm kidding around a bit as I do this, but have you ever had a preacher get up and at the end of the sermon you think, boy, that was more about the preacher than it was about God? It does happen, doesn't it? But I'm not after that. I'm telling you of an incident when I was um, working in Adelaide and uh, it was, the place was called Turner's, they wood Turner's place. They used to make wooden, wooden um, stuff. And um, my, my supervisor, my boss, um, his name was Bob. He was an Englishman, you know, the pure English type, you know, accent and everything. Really nice going fellow. And we had this little Italian boy working for us. And um, the Englishman was asked to move this Italian's car one day. And he said, I got in the car and it was one of those big, like, V8 type things. And there's mirrors on the um, mud guards up there and down on the dash. And he said everywhere he looked when he got in behind the driver's seat, all he could see was himself. All the mirrors were trained on the driver. Uh, that's, I, I'm, 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 not, I'm not having a go at Italians. I'm just saying some people idolise self, right? So there you go. Um, interesting. Um, there's people that worship their body. They've got to be sun-tanned just right. You know these you know, people that tan? Yep. Um, they've got to be perfect. They, they worship their looks. Let's face it, we are never, ever going to look like Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie, are we? I certainly am not. I'm safe here, I think. Look, come with me to Psalm 135, please. 135 in your Bible. Hundred and thirty five, one three five. Interesting this is. Talking about um, this is this here is the law of idols. Verse eighteen. One thirty five. It's very simple. All it says is those who make them are like them. Those who make them are like them. Does that make sense? That's the law of the idol. If you make an idol, you're going to soon become like that idol. In other words, you'll soon become like the images that dominate you. So we need to be careful, don't we? What images images we allow to consume our daily thoughts, that's what we're becoming like. There's a few other texts, I'll come to those later, that say the same thing. If you make an idol of wealth or wine or women or any other thing, those things will soon become your pleasure and passion. And that's what will dominate your life. This is the law of the second commandment. Heaven will fade away and the Bible will get boring. We don't want that. 
if the image of fashion consumes you, then you'll soon be governed by fashion. Now, I hope I'm not stepping on toes here, looking around. Maybe in the bigger church, maybe if I went to Springwood. Eh? I shouldn't say that. <laughs> okay. Um, if the image of fashion consumes you, then you will soon be governed by fashion. If the image of position and prestige is drawn upon long enough, you will soon be controlled by them. And it's amazing. Have you ever been introduced and the first thing they ask you is, what do you do for a living? Who cares? What I do is not me. You know what I mean? Ask me about me. Don't ask me what I'm doing. That's a prestige thing. And that's where our society leads. We don't go there. We shouldn't go there. Okay? So we're we're more focused on what we um, do rather than who we are. Um, So we've got to be careful with this. Um, Okay. Another thing. So if I get charmed by a certain sports figure, anybody, I, I heard Falau, Israel Falau get mentioned. I mean, we're not charmed by him, but Israel Falau, does anybody know who Israel Falau is? Does anybody doesn't know who Israel Falau is? Okay, Israel Falau is a footballer, or was, probably still is, who, he's actually a Mormon. Did you know that? For those who didn't know. Oh, now Pentecostal, is he? Okay. Well, he put up on his um, Facebook, I think it was, or one of those, um, a piece of scripture that said all gays, amongst others, will go to hell, right? And that's his belief, and that's fair enough too. Now, um, apparently in today's world, free speech is not free. Um, In fact... um, if you're a Christian, you better not speak your mind. But if you're pagan or if you're gay, you can say anything you want. And in fact, what's good about Falau's case, Israel Falau, it's actually now gone to court to bring a cause for Christians to allow people to have their belief. And I, I, I think that, that's how God works. But with, with, with Falau, I can understand where, why he went where he was. All the other big names, they can use their prominence, their eminence, right, to influence people in buying razor blades, uh, Nike, wearing Nike boots. You know what I'm saying? They can do all that, and they're even expected to be examples. You take the footballers that do things wrong, they get chastised because they're supposed to be setting examples, and they're setting bad ones, you pay the price. Well, I think Falau, Israel Falau, was only just doing that. This is, I'm prominent, this is my opportunity to say what I believe is the right thing. The right thing? Absolutely. But, yeah. But in today's society, here in Australia, it's not really as well accepted. It's not politically correct to be biblically correct, is it? Yeah. Okay. So that's where he was. But, you know, we've got to be careful, too, about... um, um, regaling these people, um, lifting them up too high. I, I, I just appreciate that he's made the move because that's the moral thing to do from his standpoint, standpoint and he did it. But um, there, are, there are some that you can actually get hooked on and I'll talk about one a little bit later on that I got hooked on uh, when I was a youngster. Um, but what I'm saying is that when we sort of focus on sports heroes or, or movie heroes or whoever it is, we be we start to emulate them. Um, 
How many of you have seen movies from the 30s and 40s, Humphrey Bogart, all these guys? And um, look, there's a number of things that I, I see in these movies. One is they always say grace at meals, which is incredible, and that's fantastic. The bad thing is they all smoke. They brought smoking into society. If they smoked, everybody was out buying cigarettes. Um, I think. Sorry? No, no, and uh, grace, grace has kind of gone by the wayside, by the way. It still occurs on, on occasion, but it's rare. Um, I think of um, the guy that was painting the um, um, Sydney Harbour Bridge. Um, Hogs, Paul Hogan, yeah. And uh, cigarette companies bring out cigarettes every so often with different brands, and they just bring them in to sort of promote cigarette smoking, right? And, and his brand was um, Winfield's, right? That was the new one that came out. And I remember this because um, suddenly people were switching over to Winfields. Now, the problem with this, and because Paul Hogan did such a great job, he was so charismatic, right, that Winfield became a top seller. Now, it was just supposed to come in. They, they introduced brand, uh, brands just to move people away from their other brands, and then they'd get rid of them. And, you know, but the brand stuck because of the man. He became such an icon that Winfield had to stay on the market. It was not meant to be that way. It was just meant to be a lead-in just to shake the, the market up a bit. This is, this is what happens when you start idolising people. And, and, and we can all do this. So you've got to be careful. Um, <coughs> um, it's about what we get excited about. Now, I love the way Peter picked up his Bible. What did he call it? Sword, yeah, even though he's not into fighting. He says, when he picked up his sword, okay, right, yeah, but, you know, it's what we get excited about, that's our God, isn't it, and I get excited about who I work for, and by the way, it's not the conference president, I'll tell you that now, <laughs> he, there's my boss, and he's looking down right now, so that's how you can tell if something is becoming your God, it's what you get excited about. All right, now the Bible says that we become like gods that we idolize, so be careful. Anything apart from God, from God that becomes focus of your energy, the focus of your love, the focus of your time, consider that too. Is there something taking up time? Focus of your time um, could become an idol. Anything carried to excess could become an idol. This is especially true if you short circuit, um, if it short circuits my commitments to my God or my family or my church. So think about that, too, from that perspective. For example, you spend countless hours surfing the web while your Bible is gathering dust or while your house is falling apart. Let's suppose you spend countless hours chatting on Facebook or Twitter while your family's disintegrating in the next room. Let's suppose you spend all kind of time on your email at your monitor while God waits for you to communicate with him. I've actually got, you know, we all got mobile phones with us now, the world's curse. And I get people that ring me up and say, why haven't you answered my email? You know what I say? I check my letterbox once a day. I go to my emails once a day. I don't sit at my emails answering them every time they rock up. You know, yeah, because I've got other things to do than checking my emails every every five minutes. See, doing doing that thing, could that be your idol? Could that become your idol? That's what you kind of got to watch. See, this is a modern world with a lot of modern idols out there. 
Okay, so the goal in preaching on the Ten Commandments, this is what I hope to do over the course of the next few months, is to do exactly what Jesus did in Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38, where Jesus takes and restates, Matthew 22, 37 and 38, where Jesus takes and restates the Ten Commandments in positive terms. We got them in negative terms when we look at Exodus 20, haven't we? 80% are negative, right? Um, well, what I love about Jesus is that he, he states them from the positive perspective. Now, I think that's a good thing to do, Matthew 22, 37 and 38. I think it's a good thing to do, and that's exactly what I propose to do. Uh, my first sermon was Loving God. This one is called Loving His Image. I don't want to, you shouldn't do anything. What about just loving God's image, His image? No other image, that image there. God image. And I want to talk about that image a little bit too, just, just quietly. Okay. Um, all right. So what Jesus did, and if you're there now, I'm not going to read it from here. You know what it is. Love God. Love your neighbour. Love God is your first four. Love your neighbour is the... Yeah. Have I just given you the Ten Commandments with two words, love and love, in the positive? Here we go. It's stated in the positive. So today, what would be the positive of don't make graven images? I reckon it's love God's image. Love, loving God's image. And I think that is a very positive thing. Now, a few months ago, a few moments ago, rather, we read a warning in Psalm 135 where it says that those who make graven images will become like them. Let's restate that verse in positive sense. If the image of God dominates your thoughts, your time, and your love, you'll eventually begin to reflect the image of God. It's a bit longer, but think about that. Isn't that good? If if the image of God dominates your thoughts, your time, and your love, you'll eventually begin to reflect the image of God. That's a beautiful principle, I reckon. Jeremiah 2 verse 5, King James, states it this way. They have followed idols and have become idolaters. You get the point? You follow idols, you become idolaters. Whatever you walk after, you will worship. This is the heart of the second commandment. So be careful what consumes your life. All right. So the second commandment is of highest importance. What is at stake here is your destiny. Both God and devil are contending for your image. You know that, don't you? They're both contending for your image. Both want you to reflect the image. That's what they want. But on page one of the Bible, God sets his purpose. It's probably on everybody's page one. Genesis one twenty six. Let us make man in whose image? God's image. In our image. Which image are we supposed to be reflecting back? The one that we were made in. Isn't that true? God's purpose is for every human being, in for every human being, is that we might be in the divine image. And he's still working to make his children into divine into the divine image. Romans eight twenty nine. I'll let you look that up. Romans eight twenty nine. Where it says, For whom he foreknew, for whom he foreknew. <clears throat> he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Who are we supposed to be conformed in the image of? Jesus. Jesus Christ. There we have it. 
in the image of God, in the image of Jesus. That's the goal of heaven. We have been chosen to be like Jesus. That is God's purpose for us. So how do we become like Jesus? Ah, the law of beholding. There we have it. That's right. The law of beholding says that by beholding we become changed. That's from 2 Corinthians. From by, from be, by beholding we become changed. Whatever image you keep looking at is what you'll be like. You'll not make for yourselves a carved image or any, any likeness that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Don't put the world in your sights. Focus on God. That's why John wrote in his first epistle, 1 John 5.21, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Very simple. Let me ask you this. What was the first commandment that the children of Israel broke? Number two. That's it. This is the one. The, that was the biggie. Number two was the one that they broke first. Yeah. But let me tell you that if you really get into the grand purpose of the second commandment, and if you do get into it, you will keep all the others much more easily. If you're focused on the image of God, it's really hard to go to those others. If you're focusing on the image of God, it's hard to steal. It's hard to bear a false witness. If you focus on the image of God, you get my drift? So it's really not the least of all commandments. It's probably right up there amongst, well, amongst the greatest, oh, ten. There we go. Yeah, one of the top ten. Yeah. <coughs> all right. So if it becomes your goal to reflect more and more the image of God in your life, then you won't want to lie, steal, any of those other things. An idol is a substitute for God. It's not the real thing, but an image of the real thing. It's a stand-in or a counterfeit. God wants us to have the real thing. God is so good, he also wants us what, what is best for us. Don't be attracted to false images of life. Go for the real article. Go for God's image. That's always important. Now, verse 5. 20 verse 5. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Whoa. Did you pick that one up before? Our God is a jealous God. Is jealousy a good or a bad character quality? Both. Well, you've got to say that because God just said he's a jealous God. If I didn't mention it in this context, would you have said that? Well, we know it's good in this sense. God is possessive. He loves us. He wants us. Not twisting our arms. He wants us by our own free will. But he wants us. He's, so he's possessive. And sometimes we grow up thinking that God is watching our every mood. He's out to spy on us so as to condemn us. Don't you believe it? He's only watching out for our well-being. As parents and grandparents, aren't we very protective of our children and grandchildren? When we say, don't do that or be careful of that, we're not turning them off. They think we are. But we're not, are we? We've been protective. Our thou shalt nots. It's for their good. Don't run across the road. You know what I'm saying? They grow up and they learn it's because we love her. We love them. We're jealous for their safety and their well-being. I think jealous and zealous are so, so closely related there. Yeah. It's the same type of jealousy God has for his children. He is jealous when we associate with the devil's temptations. 
those evil baits will take us down a path from which we may not come back from. Um, protection is an excellent component of God's law. I think the Ten Commandments were put in place as a wall of protection around us, shielding us from all kind of evil. You know, if everybody, and this is going to happen one day, if everybody kept the law of God, there'd be no need for a United Nations Security Council, which I believe is meeting at this very time. Um, there'd be no need for an army, no Pine Gap or any other military installations, no need for police protection, no jails, no mobile phones, <laughs> no courts, no locks or keys, no security systems. Wouldn't it be fantastic? There'd be no more crime of any kind. These two tablets of stone written by God's very own finger are a wonderful protection for each of us. And the path of obedience is the only path for safe, to safety. We, we've got to praise God for his law because it's there to protect us. We do not keep it to be saved. We keep it because we love Jesus and we are already saved. I actually had that debate once when I was part of the minister's fraternal in a small town. You have a more tendency to join those. And I was on the chaplaincy committee there too. Actually, I was the chairman of the chaplaincy committee for the state school, choosing a chaplain. <clears throat> but the one person that wasn't there very often was the Anglican guy. And when he rocked up and he saw me there, he said, what's this guy doing there? He's the Seventh-day Adventist. Well, we didn't discuss differences. We just got on really well together and made sure that the town was fairly blanketed with, with Christian Christianity, you see. Well, he was very outspoken. And then he said, <clears throat> these guys believe that you've got to keep the Ten Commandments to be saved and that uh, Ellen White, their prophet, is a... Um, is is works are above the scriptures. And I turned to the um, head of the fraternal and he nodded. There was about 30 people there. And he nodded. That nodded, nod was, yes, you can speak, because we never ever spoke outside of our mainstream beliefs, which, which were um, similar. <clears throat> and I said, well, firstly, I said... Um, a lot of churches have prophets. I know most of the Pentecostals do. They're getting prophecies right, left and centre. And I said, am I not right? And I got all these nods from around the room, so that shut him up on the... And, and I said, um, and yes, we have a prophet also. And I said, and she said that she was a lesser light to the greater light. So I said, um, but there are some people that might hold her writings above scriptures, but it's not the doctrine of the church. Amen. And then I said, and... Um, as for the Ten Commandments, I said what I said here. I keep them because I am saved, not to be saved. And I said, by the way, I keep all ten. <coughs> and, um, and I left it at that, you know, because, you know, you don't want to make a big thing out of... Out of but to the guy's credit, and this doesn't happen very often, when you have a public insult, a lot of people will want to have a private apology... This guy actually came to me in front of everybody and said, look, I, I, I misspoke. I should have checked with you first. And I did, did admire that in, in the man. But we, you know, Jesus, you know that, that text, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you know you're Greek, it actually reads, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's, it's, a, it's a response to love. 
it isn't a what you have to do. You do it because you love Jesus, because you love him. Um, why do you love him? He's made access to heaven available again when it was taken away from us in the Garden of Eden. That's why we love him. Okay, praise God for his law. We do not keep it to be saved. All right, God is jealous if we pursue worldly images. Maybe we're chasing secular, sophisticated values. That happens. That the devil dangles before us like a carrot before a donkey. We burn out our strength chasing the wrong image. We are created in the image of God. The second commandment urges us to spend our energies chasing the right image. Um, Christians should develop a deep love for God's image. We should also love his image in others. Okay? But you think about it. If there's anybody out there you don't like very much at all, Genesis 1.26 says they were also created in the image of God. So we should be looking for that image inside of them. We really ought to. Not an easy job to do. It's very hard looking forward when you're reaching behind, you're pulling knives out of your back. But there you go. You've got to do it. We should lo love his image in others, as we should love his image in ourselves as well. Ellen White states in Volume 5 of Testimonies for the Church, page 307, by beholding and imitating his life, we become... We shall become renewed in his image. The glory of heaven will shine in our lives and be reflected upon others. I love that. Okay, let's continue with the second commandment, verses 5 and 6. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children uh, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You see the contrast there? Hate and love. And also the length of time here. The punishment is to the third and fourth generation. And I don't think God's whacking into your grandkids and you know, your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. I think what happens when sin enters a family, the consequences affect to the third and fourth generation. But for those who love him, the scripture says he will look after them for a thousand generations. What a contrast. What an absolute contrast. Um, so a thousand generations. The punishment of the sin might last 75 years, but the result of love will last a thousand generations. Did you know that the second commandment is the only commandment where love is mentioned? Interesting. Who does God show his great love to? To those who love him and keep his commandments. This is interesting. What does that remind you of? Those who love him and keep his commandments. Come on. Yeah, Revelation. Goes, yeah, goes straight to Revelation 12, 17. And the dragon was enraged, was wroth with the woman. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Revelation 14, 12 says that the saints are those who keep his commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Human beings are warned not to create an image of what they think God might look like. Just as soon as we cast an image of God, We've reduced him to something that we can handle. Have you ever noticed that? I know people do that. They say, oh, yeah, God must be um, white hair, shape of a man. Um, there's a video by Louis Giglio. I don't know if any of you have seen it. If you get hold of it, he's not a Seventh-day Adventist. He ought to be. Um, and he's, he's put out a DVD called Indescribable, and he talks about God. And it's absolutely incredible. 
it's in our own bookshops if you get hold of it. Should be in the in the in the library. Um, I won't spoil what he says, but he does a whole sermon on how incredibly vast and incredible God is. And he is so true. We can't, he says, and this is what scripture says, we can't try and bring God down into a shape that we are comfortable with. We can't do that with God because the moment you do that, that's what you revere. And you can't do that either. He's greater than that. So <coughs> we, you know, it's kind of like carving him up into a God when we start doing that. Some people want to design a God. Taylor made to, to specifications. We can't do that either. We've got to go to the God of Scripture. And if he's overwhelming and, and incredibly and huge and vast, that's because he is. It's because he is. Rather than redesign God to meet our wishes, why don't we allow him to redesign us to fit into his plan for our life? We are not little potters down here on this earth, forming God into an image of our own making. Instead, we are clay sitting on the divine potter's wheel, awaiting his loving touch to mould us into the image of his choosing. <clears throat> the second commandment is really one of surrender to God's purpose. Romans 8, 7 says that we are to submit to God's law. It is here at the second commandment where we submit to the divine pattern maker. It is not we who carve up an image. No, it is God who holds the chisel. When you take the chisel in your own hand and you carve up an image of your own design, you break the second commandment. The bottom line here is, are you willing to surrender all to God? Is it your desire to love God's image? <clears throat> if so, then pray. Pray that you may reflect more of the divine image. Pray, I want to be like Jesus. Pray, I want his character to be my character Pray, the great goal of my life is this, to be like Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for your time. May God bless you. Let's finish this with a beautiful hymn, hymn three. <laughs>